0: edition of the Capiche Filmcast. Stephen Barry here with Francis Murphy. Hello. Yo, yo, yo. <laughs> the American yo's are back of course. Yeah. now We are back here. Another episode of the Star Trek uh, Captain's Log project. Uh, yep. What film are we on now? Film 5? Star Trek 5, The Final Frontier. Yep. Uh, we spoke a little about this one, didn't we? I think, on the last podcast. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um so we're gonna do the usual, just go a little five to ten minutes, just preamble, giving our thoughts on this film before we watch it, and then we'll watch the film, come back and go into spoiler fake detail uh, review with a rating at the end. Yep. So uh let's let's get into this one, Fran. Let's uh let's set up then this film. This is immediately after, is it? The yes. last film? Well, maybe a few weeks. So it's sort of the unofficial. You've got, you've had your trilogy of Star Trek two, three, and four, and this is kind of the the launching into the next phase for these characters. So they've got the the new Enterprise. They they sent that... it off into space. They mm-hmm. they went to warp drive, and at the end of Star Trek four, and it was all exciting. And this is a few weeks later, so I don't want to say too much about all of the circumstances. You know, but maybe be more interesting to talk about well. I feel like there's a feeling of rejuvenation with them. Yeah, um, that that last one ended. That sort of feeling like a trilogy. They finally, you know, got the ship back. Kirk is back, kind of in his better form. Became yeah. even somehow more youthful feeling. And uh, so this is them now getting to. I'm mean, I'm assuming go out and explore and on their own terms and things like that. Sort of, sort of. It's not in some ways. It is what you would expect. Or is it in a reset ways- in some way? Say that again? Is it like a resetting of yeah, I think the back I think that's, the norm, the status quo? A little? I think that's what the intention was. I think the intention was that they would back, be back on the Enterprise in their uniforms and they're back in Starfleet and they've got a mission to perform and all that kind of thing. But but it is an interesting film because I think what what they were trying to do was they were trying to maybe use this as a transition movie that would lead into something like that as, as well. Do you know what I mean? That you can see that maybe everything isn't quite as rosy as it might have seemed, that's part of the movie but the thing is, I mean, the elephant in the room is that Star Trek 5 is often cited as the worst Star Trek film ever made Oh, right, okay Um, Oh, that's right, this is the one that William Shatner directed, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Now, do you know, the thing about it is that there are a number of scenes in this film that are classic Star Trek scenes they're very, very good Excellent and, you know, if I was to do a montage of all the movies and pick out my favourite scenes that maybe um, focused on or expanded upon, say, the Kirk-Spock-McCoy relationship and what it's like for these characters to be ageing and getting, you know, the the the, de- the depth of their relationships with each other, I would include scenes from Star Trek V in that because Shatner actually pulled out some really good performances from himself, actually, um, Leonard Nimoy and DeForest Kelly as Spock and McCoy. Um. Now, the bad is bad, <laughs> but the good is 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 great. If that right, makes sense. Okay, So it's that's a series is... of highs and lows. And no, no middle ground here. Yeah, I mean the thing is, it's not. It's not a zero-star film, do you know. What I mean, it's not an absolute travesty of a movie, and and I feel bad for Shatner because there was a writers. No, there was. I don't know if it was a writer's strike. There was some kind of strike on at the time. There was problems with the unions, like the Teamsters and stuff. So it was kind of like a production, a lot of production yeah. issues, and they kept pulling money away from him. Like Shatner had all these ideas for all these grand set pieces and things that the the budget was slashed, and and then he, you know. Actually, I get this info from, I listened to Shatner's Star Trek movie, Memories, it was, not and, and he was talking about directing this film, and how he recognised that it wasn't as good as it should have been, and but he felt that maybe if some things had gone his way that maybe it would have been a wee bit, he felt like the victim of some bad luck. Right. I think also the studio was pressuring Shatner to keep the, the, the comedy in it. A lot more than maybe he would have wanted. Because the last film, I'm guessing from it was a commercial, you know, success wasn't that was it? massive, yeah. The Voyage Home, and that was, it was a, massive a sort of pop culture thing. 80s big, f- funny film type, you know, yeah. fish out of water storyline with these Trek cars. I can see why, from a studio perspective, they would want to kind of keep that momentum. Yeah, well, that's the thing is that a fish out of water breeds natural comedy from the Star Trek cast being themselves. Slapstick's different. Oh, is this what we're it's, heading it's into? It's not slapstick. There are a couple of bits like that. There's maybe one, one scene that definitely is and then there's another couple that are a, a wee bit like that. But We're it, heading into like Police Academy style silliness? Not, no, not really. I mean, it's very contained but you can tell the studio was I think, I mean there are some bit there are really serious scenes in this film really, you know emotionally um, I'm getting the I, feeling that this, the tone is going to be all over the place then. Yeah, I mean, it it is. is a confusing film, but it's a confusing situation. So in some ways, Shatner didn't do too badly with that because even though it's the worst of the Star Trek films, it's certainly not like... uh, There are billions of films worse than this out there in other franchises and genres. Do you know what I mean? This is not a terrible movie in and of itself. It's just not up to the high standard of the other Star Trek films. There's been a high bar set with The Wrath of Khan yeah. Uh, and probably the voyage home mm-hmm. in, in a different way. Yeah. But now this film is probably the you know at fall, it falls victim I'm assuming from the successes of its predecessors. Yeah I mean that's the thing I mean you had to have had to have to have had your first slight misstep five movies in is not bad and then to immediately recover from it for the next film do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not bad at all. I do feel sorry for Shatter in some ways that it, it was it's something that, that he really put his heart and soul into this, and when you see interviews with him and listen to him, um, can I listen to the audio book of that. Is he quite burned by least? it? Yeah, it had he, disappointed? Take... But he's being humble about it now. I mean, it, but you can tell when he's doing uh, the the bonus features for the DVD. I remember watching years ago, and he was obviously talking during the film, and you could see how, just how excited he was to be directing this film. And he wanted to create this wonderful adventure for everybody, and he wanted to give the cast good scenes and stuff. You know, he was doing his best. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It's just a bit of a shame, really. But for a guy who never really did anything like this before, it's not a bad effort, right? Okay. So as a, a way as a way to look at it, to still say there was a, there's an element of success still. Yeah, in I mean, to the grand scheme of things. They pulled out. There's, there's probably about three scenes in this that are equal. The equal of anything that came before, and you won't see again in terms of getting a a deeper look into McCoy, Spock and and Kirk and their friendship and how they feel about getting older and their lives and being career officers in a military organisation and all these things. That's great. You know, for a first time director like Shatner to have pulled those performances mm. out is admirable. Now, there are bad movies out there that don't have a single good Damn, scene in them. Do you know what I mean? Like they don't have anything good about them at all. You just laugh your whole the whole way through it. In this, there are moments you go, "Oh, actually, that's." And there are moments as well where you empathize deeply with what's going on, and it makes you feel pain and discomfort as well. So these are things that I don't know. I, I just I feel that with if if this if I was given this film to re-edit, it could be it could be turned into a much better movie. I think. So studio should just call you then. Yeah. Well, anybody could make it a better yeah. movie. Uh, is it quite an obvious fix? Is no, there videos online of people re-editing it? I don't know, actually. I'm not sure. I'd, I'd like to look that up and see. Um. I mean, you could say the same thing about things like... I mean, there's people who have taken the three prequel Star Wars films and edited them into one, which are, is really good, because it should really have been one story about Anakin Skywalker, yeah. or whatever, or him as an adult. Again, with this, there's maybe a couple of bits of fluff taken out, a bit of the silly humour taken out, um, and it it wouldn't be the best Star Trek film, but it would be tighter. Okay. What else do we need to discuss before going in? The, do you know who does the soundtrack on this one? We've previously spoke about James Horner's influence or impact on think, the the original films, or those other earlier films. Yeah, I think it might be Jerry Goldsmith. Right. Okay. Who did Star Trek One? Right. So he's come back. I, I think I think he is. We will confirm it, obviously. Yes, at, yeah. At the yeah. Um, but this film came out in 1988 or 1989. I can't remember. Okay, one of those. So this is around. Maybe yeah, 89 actually. 89. The style of the films I think of in that time, be the Batman film. That's the 89 or no, Goodfellas is 1990. I'm just trying to think of the big, massive, you know, cinema changing films of the, those years and uh okay all right i think we've covered most st- stuff um, we really need to discuss before going into the film uh i'm curious now um based on what you've said to see how what i think of it uh especially speaking of those production troubles and the tone and things like that i think this is going to be an in- definitely an interesting watch um expectations set relatively low Yeah uh, It's the the best way to approach this. Yeah, I think so. Okay then. With that, we're now gonna watch Star Trek V. See you on the other side. (laughs) See you soon. And we're back. We have now watched Star Trek V The Final Frontier. We have indeed. And overall, I think having the low expectations set was a good thing because I don't think this is a bad film, but I don't think it's a great film. It's hit and miss, isn't it? Yeah, well, I, th- I think it's it's got some fantastic scenes and some really annoying scenes. And if you chart the average through that, it becomes okay. But I think with a recut, mm-hmm. it could be a very... Well, not a great movie, but it could be a good Star Trek film. And I think some of those scenes that we you know we were discussing as the movie was on, some of the scenes were great. Mm-hmm. Let's let's take it from the start then. Yeah. So the opening first few scenes, Kirk well the most of the crew are on shore leave, huh? Eh? Yeah. Uh just enjoying themselves, Kirk showing his kind of youthful uh has strive to be youthful again by back into his hobbies, hill climbing, uh, mountain climbing. Sorry, and well, oh, even more extreme, free climbing. Free climbing, yeah, <laughs> absolutely terrifying. Uh, uh yeah, Poof. Not, not not something I can see myself doing anytime soon. Uh, you know, and McCoy watching him, uh, heart and mouth. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's great stuff. Some good scenes, some good character moments, and I think this is one of the strengths of this film. We've spoken about it as we watched it. This film really um, benefits from that trifecta um, being explored, the sort of Kirk, McCoy and Spock relationship, mm-hmm. and it's established early on that, that sort of like dynamic uh, with the three of them, um, you know, Kirk nearly falling to his death, yeah, uh, and and being saved by Spock and then being chastised by McCoy for it, and... And being able to settle it with a nice campfire scene, which, by the way, I thought was great. Yeah, I I love that that, that scene there. You know, I think there's a few touching moments in it where they're talking about how they've grown old. They they don't have families. Mm -hmm. They they don't have kids. and They they don't have wives. All they've got really is each other, you know, that they... McCoy makes the point that they spend all that time together on the ship and they get on each other's nerves but then they spend all their time off together as well. Mm. And you know there's something there's something quite touching I suppose about three older men who have made their choices in life and that's them that's that's their fact that well it comes to that realization fully later on in the film but that's that's their people isn't it that's th- who they're going to spend their time with yeah and before we got to the camp scene, we did have a, a, we spoke about how the highs and lows, and I feel like this film fluctuates quite sporadically between the moments where you're like on board with it, and then those moments where you're like a wee bit cringe. Yeah. And for me, the scene when Kirk nearly falls to his death just looked yeah, didn't look great. It, but that's where you could cut you mm-hmm. could cut the close ups, mm-hmm. and it would be fine. It was just the humor that they were trying to portray. I felt again. It wasn't as smart in some ways as the previous film, yeah, well, that was situational comedy, mm-hmm. so this wasn't it wasn't a funny scenario, no, that's the thing. it wasn't funny, and Curl intended to overact as well with some of it with the scenes later with Spock and stuff, I mean, yeah, but, um it felt like watching a friend's episode, uh, yeah, the way that it was kind of over you know overreacting to, to try and make the scene funnier yeah um that was something that came through later on as well now that we're talking about this as a a theme i think uh scotty the the slapstick yeah i know you know walking into the the bulkhead and falling flat you know the old uh i mean it is literally the most slapstick thing you could think of it's like a tom and jerry moment yeah (laughs) yeah I was thinking of something like that, like Charlie Chaplin-esque, like yeah. that sort of how far back you go with that style of humour that a modern audience, this is what, the late 80s, you know, it was, Red Dwarf had started at this point and that was the sort of thing you'd maybe seen a Red Dwarf episode, early yeah. season Red Dwarf episode, and even then that would have been some of their best comedy. Yeah. And it felt out of place in this film and I think that's where it's weaker and I can see what you were saying at the beginning of the podcast with yeah. You'd that have stuff. a slight edit. Uh-huh and it would be okay. Because that didn't... You know, what did that do to the film, really? Well, it's nothing. I mean, that's where the studios came in and said, we need more funny, we need more comedy, whatever, and it's been shoehorned in there, but, you know, and and that's where it varies wildly, because you can tell that Shatner was trying to tell a pretty serious story about the three main characters and their inner pain. Basically, the the plot of this film is that Spock's long-lost brother returns and is on a quest to find God, and but has developed a power through this communion with some entity where he can dig deep into people's souls and reveal their true pain and make them follow him. It's almost like a hypnosis type thing. Now, that's all a device really, I believe, to get to the scene where you get to see Spock and McCoy's pain as this guy tries to dig that out of them and Kirk doesn't want to relinquish his pain. So it's all really about character development and it's kind of machines or, or, or devices are put in place to allow these these revelations to come out of the characters. I, I think that's what it is. What I would say as well about the film is that Shatner as a director, I believe, was quite fair and quite um, clearly generous with all of the cast, giving them all great amounts of screen time. Yeah, I think Uhura got a bit more to do this time. And they seemed more human as well. It was It was, it was a continuation of the sort of the the humor and the humanity showed from the last couple of films, but more specifically in the the voyage home, yeah, uh, that that sort of like humane side and, and the, the 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 relative. Real you know, how we relate to these how we can relate to these characters, accessibility yeah. for a casual audience. And again, I think that was what they were trying to keep going as well as build on the story for the characters. Yeah. Um But there was a lot of references to Star Trek two and three and mm-hmm. four we well not four so much, but Spock's death and feeling you know, th- feeling a bit older and, and all those kinds of themes, they were revisited, they, they were touched upon again. Yeah, they were subtle, I, I think. Um, although read, McCoy did say he liked Spock better before he died. Yeah, yeah. One True. <laughs> a great line again, McCoy, I think. McCoy is always... He's definitely still my favourite. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, DeForest Kelly, I just, I think his performance is always really... I, f- I, I can relate to him more. Well, he's actually a veteran of the old western movies. Getty right, okay. westerns he was in loads of them Aye. and then he was in obviously the 60s star trek after that i can imagine him in war films or something but yeah i can see that i think could he was see in that a couple of war yeah, movies yeah, I as can well. totally i can totally see that uh he seems like the old hand type mm-hmm. um sort of an old he's an old style old time uh-huh. actor yeah and the way he delivers his lines sometimes like you know don't know if that crossed that match on oh mind yours, Jim. You know the, the way <laughs> that he delivers that is like an old, or you could you could picture that in a campfire scene in an old western. Yes, very much. And I think that that yeah, definitely that. Um, and I like that stuff, the campfire scene stuff. And again, it was it came back circular with them doing it at the end. It was a good kind of final moments as well, bringing up it, tying it up. And I think which makes the film overall. I would say. Enjoyable. But where the where the humour worked for me, I think, was scenes like... Uh, Spock didn't understand the singing round the campfire. He took it too literally, and then after they tried to do it, and they gave up, he, they were going to sing Row, Row, Row Your Boat, and, and Spock was troubled by the line Life is, <laughs> life is but a dream, and then they're lying there about to go to sleep, and Spock just says Jim, life is not a dream. You know, and then they go to sleep. But it's this... And, and then in the lift, when Kirk says... I could use a shower, and Spock just says, "Yes." Yeah, you know? it's that's where it works because that plays on Spock's character perfectly. He is a logical and literal and truthful person, mm-hmm. and that can be funny. That's not forced humor. That's an interaction that would just happen. I uh, know. I think. I think I found his uh, lines some of the funniest. It was yeah. the the line when Shatner says. Yeah, I could do with a shower and just that sort of yeah. normal human interaction. Yeah. To expect something like an agreement, yeah, I could. I need to go for one too. It, it, the silence for an uncomfortable amount of time, and yeah. then it's just as yes. if Spock was smelling the air, yeah. or something like he, he as if he, yeah, <laughs> he was trying to detect if it was true. Yes, <laughs> just an agreement, but not in the <laughs> in a cruel way. Aye yeah a uh, great little tiny character beats that I really liked that's that's the sort of thing yeah. that I appreciate from the from the film definitely um what do you think of the visual effects? Well, that's an interesting topic actually that there was a disaster with the visual effects i l m was doing another movie at the time so they couldn't be contracted to do this film so Shatner went to another company who had pitched really well and had come up with some demos that looked really good and then later on. After all, of, there was a lot of other dramatics that went on with this. I think there was a strike with the Teamsters and various other things, so there was problems. Um, they went to get the effects, and they were crap. So then they had to rush and go and find another company to do some backup effects really last minute. I think there's not a lot of space vi- space visual effects in this film at all. So I think they they probably cut them down significantly for that reason. Maybe that was why the film felt a bit haphazard on the screen time on the sets because the, the, maybe they would have cut more of the, the, the stuff from the, the actual on the set material if they'd had more visual effects. Mm. Who knows? Um, I think there was a number of things on this. is a first time director. He did a pretty good job for a first time director I think. he, You know, for somebody who's never done this before. Uh, Taking a, it's, a, it's a huge thing to do is take an established franchise as big as Star Trek as your first time directing, obviously you yeah. was the star, and knew how things and worked. after all the good films, the, the pressure, yes. yeah. So there was a lot riding against them, but of course it came off the back of two, you know, I would say relatively free, considerably good films. uh two, uh, probably one massively commercial, one critically uh, yeah. as well, uh, and so you and know a nice bridge film, mm-hmm. so a decent, a really good trilogy of films and then for this one, you can see where it was looked at from probably, I don't know financially how it did, but from a critical point of view it certainly did as a wavering point, it has kind of... Yeah, well the first reviews were very good and then it tapered off, then it wasn't so good after that, but I think I think the Star Trek films have done commercially okay pretty much all the time enough for this one to then get another film after it. Mm. So I think there's going to be always enough of an audience for these films, isn't there? Yeah, well, definitely. I mean I I I think Star Trek is glo- It's a globally popular cultural phenomenon. I mean, there's no denying that fact. It's up there with Star Wars and and you know your Marvel stuff. It's one of those and it's up there with James Bond as well. It's it's one of those it's a it's like a Mickey Mouse sort of thing, you might call it. It's, a, it's something that if you said, beam me up, Scotty, everybody knows what that is. Mm-hmm. Or Mr. Spock. Like, people know that. Mm-hmm. They just know. Because you grew up seeing adverts with Spock. You know, I think it was a Guinness advert with Spock in it when we were, you know, all these things that you you see, you mm-hmm. know, um, it just enters the, they call it the cultural zeitgeist, don't they? Well, it's public consciousness. Just- yes. I mean all around the world mm-hmm. if you walk around with pointed ears on in a Star Trek, you know the people are gonna know what yeah. it is, you're a trekkie. You know? But you know, I it's one of those things where I don't I feel like people there's a lot of bad movies people watch and laugh the whole way through and this is this this film suffers in that it's not the best Star Trek film. It's the worst Star Trek film without a doubt. So is it without a doubt yeah. so Would you say this is... This is the worst Star Trek film, but it's still not is, that bad. We've, we're we obviously going to come to it, but I know you have a strong this taste for the Star Trek Into Darkness film. Yeah, but that's that's a different kind of movie. That was... This is the worst film... Is it from a, a filmmaking a, but, point of view? No. Do you know what it is? It's because they had no goddamn excuses. They had the original cast, Mm. Right. They had the canon from the time, so it was all within the proper canon. There's no excuses for this film to have been like it is really. They could have pulled it off better. Maybe tighter editing. 20-30 years later, with a bunch of idiots who don't know what they're doing, who only have the imagination to riff off of an older movie. I wouldn't even give it the respect of saying that it's a bad Star Trek film. It's just a bad film. Which one? Into Darkness. But wouldn't that still mean it, it's worse than... I don't even count it as a Star Trek movie. I, <laughs> I, I think it's that shit. We will for this project, we will. <laughs> well, yeah, I know, but it's Star Trek into shitness, more like. I mean, honestly... So really, really, just... your thoughts are that, that that one is worse. Yeah, because... You this know, is the second worst, then. Well. Yeah, that, that is. Well, to you. Uh, well, I'll put it this way, it's infinitely better than Into Darkness. Right, okay, so in that case... Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's the thing, Into Darkness is just... There are a couple of good moments in it, but nothing nothing anywhere even approaching the campfire scenes or these scenes with these characters, those character beats, the earned moments of 25 years of these guys being together on screen, right? None of that's earned by Into Darkness or any of that, right? Star Trek 2009 was great. If Into Darkness, the people who were making it had any intelligence, they would have reined it in a bit, but they didn't, you know? And and that's the, that's the difference here, is that I can kind of forgive these guys for Star Trek 5 because you know, they did, I think all round, everybody did the best they could, apart from the visual effects, and there was other if, other instances of problems that that affected the production of the film, um, and Shatner's inexperience, and various other things. So, if, if a Star Trek film like this came out now, and it was a bit cookie, I'd still quite like it. I'd, I'd think, well, goddamn, they made an effort here. They were trying to get the spirit there, you know, the... It really feels like a Star Trek film because, as, as as lower quality as it is, it still feels like a Star Trek film, mm-hmm. which you can't say for a lot of the modern stuff, whether it's Star Trek on TV or Star Trek. Oh yeah, I mean, I suppose in a sense there isn't a lot of action. Actually, a maniacal villain who was evil, um, trying to kill everybody not really, I mean there was an entity at the end but mm-hmm. Cyborg was fairly, had some depth he, mm-hmm. he actually called Kirk his friend and, and all this at the end of the film so he wasn't a, an evil villain. Was there people walking about in vests, sweating climbing things like like some sort of diehard remake? You know, was there action man scenes like people like firing submachine guns into the face of like you know, you, you get a couple of action scenes in the film but it's not it's not a formulaic film like you get these days. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's interesting to watch it. It's interesting to pick apart the flaws. You know, in fact, it's hard to find flaws in a lot of big movies these days because they're so formulaic. They all follow the exact same pattern. I'd say they they're generalising a bit, but let's let's leave that. Well, that's a that's a separate discussion. I don't know, but we'll have to watch a few of the big films for me to map it out for you. I feel like what, what films are we talking about here? Are we talking about the Marvel we'll films? About, Let's face about, it, that's the reason they're so successful. Familiarity is something that is successful financially. That's why if you listen, that's why they put songs on the radio all the time. Because the more you hear a song, the more you want to hear it. It's weird, like video game music. Say you heard a a, a song from a video game once, out of context, without having played the game. You might not like it, but if you hear that over and over playing the game, you begin to like it, and I think that's with the for- the successful formula that Disney's, in particular, in particular Disney has worked. I mean, it. I think you could try and lay, like put that argument to not anything. Disney, there's not arty films out no. now, or, or, there's or unusual like movies. Pixar films, people would say there is a formula to it, the Pixar stories. Yes, yeah, but it's harder to criticize. That's difficult. It's difficult to criticize. It's easier to criticize something that's totally left field mm-hmm. because there's because it's riskier. I think that stands to reason, that you're going to make more mistakes if you don't follow a tried and tested formula. Right, back on Star Trek, you were finishing up on the visual effects, I wanted to just chime in and say, to me, they were one of the weaker points of the (laughs) films. Yeah. So we won't dwell on it, I'll just say that I felt they were like, um, it felt like watching some Red Dwarf, yeah, stuff. Thankfully there wasn't too many of them. Yeah. So, because if there was loads of that in the movie, it would have been just, mm -hmm. yeah. And there was bits that obviously were supposed to be fast, like ships moving. Oh god, just really slow. It was the the worst one was the spinning satellite. Yeah. Oh dear. Yeah. Tear. That was a shaking the head moment. I know. I know. And then as you shook your head, you got ill watching the effect. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So I would say that was obviously the main points where I felt I was really like okay, taken out of the film a little, as well as some of the slapstick humour. All in that. The two great scenes we've kind of covered a little—the um, campfire scene as well as the scene with McCoy and uh, the, yeah. the, the, the his father. I know what great, a, great, powerful character moment, great acting, I, great. Forest uh, uh, Kelly, Kelly an amazing job uh, in that scene. Yeah. of of conveying his complete. Mm-hmm. Basically, what happened was his father was terminally ill and in unbelievable pain. McCoy's a doctor. He then. Uh, puts off his father's life support and then finds out a couple of months later there's a cure for this disease. I mean that that would hurt anybody Mm -hmm. deeply but Mm -hmm. DeForest Kelly actually what's interesting about it is maybe it explains why he's so I can imagine that's why he's got bags under his eyes. Yeah, but also <laughs> that's yeah. the kind of like that's the kind of character he's got effect I would have. Weathered look uh-huh. to him. But he there's does. also he's 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 he gets very upset when someone takes risks with their lives and things like. Maybe you can see mm. why mm-hmm. he's so stressed about mm-hmm. that because he, he's quite a stressy guy. And but Forest Kelly really his facial expressions in that scene. I think you could just see the sheer mm-hmm. the conflict. Do I do this? What would you do if it was your own father as a scene you can empath- empathise with completely? Do you want your father or mother or relative to suffer in pain? Would you, If you had the power to release them from that, And then what if you found out that they could have lived? My god, I mean, that is, you know, for Shatner to have come up with that scene and to have directed that scene in the way that it was and to have got that performance out of the Forest Kelly is admirable. Very powerful. Mm-hmm. And actually, I mean, of all of the films, I would say that maybe this one has some of the best opportunities for these, these actors to give some flair to what they're doing. Do you know what I mean? Like Spock turning away from his vision of, of his father, call it, saying he's so human and that hurts him. And McCoy with his father and Ahura at the start. Um, even that little scene where they get the message from Starfleet saying they have to go on a mission. And Ahura's Quite casual about it. She's saying, you know, we're not an episode. She's getting a chance to mm-hmm. show who, who chari- yeah, her character. Yeah, she's not just is. playing the functionary role of plotting us, you know, uh-huh. communication or whatever it is. She's actually getting to and saying to Scotty, do some character. And they not realise that you know? In fact, she got a few scenes with the, coming down to the surface, getting the captain, the dance. bit. The dance was scene funny. was definitely like that was a bit different. Yeah, but it, you know that that to me I th- I, when that was coming up, I thought, is that going to be cringy? But it wasn't so bad. I think it was. I think it was over the top in the sense of how they react. These characters were just like slaves to this woman. But I know that's yeah. the, that's, that's the kind of the joke. That's the, the whole. That's the point and stuff. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but it was still it was fine. It was it's fine. almost like an old Arabian Nights story. The yeah. guys in the mirage in the desert kind of thing, and they can't believe it. You know, if there's not many women on the planet, or mm-hmm. you know, they just they can't believe it. They're all going off towards this naked woman dancing on a sand dune. I don't want to know what would have happened if the you know, if she wasn't backed up by security. Yeah. Well, that could have been quite a really, dark that's a much darker film. Could have been a Me Too moment. Yeah. I'm I'm not kidding by that. It that's, would have been it would have been really bad. Yeah. But uh, let's move on from that. Um yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, like good moments and I think uh Chekhov getting to pretend he was a captain, uh I like that as well. And Sulu. Actually, this is my first. Aye. Sulu was Sulu was certainly the, the smaller moments, I think. he, But again, his little moments were still. I, mean, I love Sulu's voice. I, I, I say it every time I watch this yeah. film. Right, Captain. <laughs> and then he says to Chekhov, remember that when he gets on the bridge and he's Sulu's been brainwashed and Chekhov's saying, What's going on here? Who's this guy on the bridge? And Sulu's like, um, Pavel, you have to listen to this man. Aye. <laughs> you know, so he's getting his <laughs> delivery. I want his voice. Yeah, <laughs> It's great. Yeah. Setting course seven Mark two. Like the manu- extremely deep. The manual landing uh scene I thought was great. Yeah. As well. Where they have to try and normally they get sort of a similar be Yeah, tracks beat in. Obviously, let's do a manual landing and you know, pretending that they've done it before and it's like How many times have you done this? Actually. This my is my first attempt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, yeah. We were commenting on how Sulu is never phased by anything. He always seems no, yeah, seems you're right, slightly yeah. amused, like he uh, that he's just like enjoying things because yeah. of the ridiculousness of the situation. Yeah, deadpan. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm starting to become more familiar with the characters and the actors, and appreciating those little subtleties more than I say, uh, in you know, in the first film when they didn't you know, like get to do that. You start to get a bit of an affection for them, don't you? Especially as they're starting to age, mm. because you feel like you're. You become fond of people as they get older, don't mm-hmm. don't you? You know, you you kind of look up to them a little bit. I mean, that's the thing—they're older than us, and they are significantly older than us as they will be in the next film, Star Trek Six. And you can look up to them mm-hmm. in a sense as people who have like does that whole respect your elders thing. And I always remember with my grandfather in particular, I looked up to him because he was experienced and been through so many things. You know, that that's something I feel about the this original crew. Is that they're, you know, they've got the lines and the grey hair to show. And They've earned their respect. Yeah. You know, but there is a fondness. I think you do get fond of older people, don't you, as they get older? Mm-hmm. The parents are like that. You get more fond of your parents as they get older, I think your grandparents do. Well, so. I don't think these, these actors haven't lost sight at this point, you know, in their career of what these characters are. I think they're very yeah. in tune with the character and how they've aged and their arcs and stuff. Yeah, so I think that's what and also it's honest. Yes, it doesn't feel like they're going out of their way to make them uh, fit something that isn't there that really true to their character or where they would be. There's moments, say like. Some of the slapstick is probably, again, the, the, the furthest it goes with Scotty and stuff like that. But it's just for humor's sake, that's fine. Yeah. Kirk a little bit with some of the. But what's interesting is the over the if top acting that in this film, you'll hate all the bits in the new movies then, because Scotty's basically just comic relief at that I, damn time. That is one of the things. It's been a while. I was never sure what I thought of the Simon you're Pegg gonna, you're version think of Scotty. They're pretty shallow, these new movies. Once, we, once we've watched all of these, you'll mm-hmm. look at the new ones and you'll probably think, God, it's pretty. The, it's not, it doesn't feel the same. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel the same. And, uh, you know, that's the thing, like, do you always go back? Isn't it time maybe to start writing some new adventures? You know, prequels, Well, that's maybe remakes, where I'm hoping maybe you know. then they do leave this trilogy, the new, the new yeah. those films as this this sort of reboot trilogy and leave it as that. And any more films they do can just be with new characters. Use the Discovery yeah. crew. Well, that's the thing. The Discovery's a flipping prequel was no, it set before the original series? Oh, right. Okay. So why? Not why didn't, i not it. See if they'd set Discovery in the future, would have been fine by mm. me. You know well, why? Uh. I, it's just laziness. It's It's because the studio knows that Kirk and Spock are money makers, and if they can set things around them in some way, people are going to. But they've they've got it all wrong. You know, I mean, I'm up for new adventures and new fresh takes on things, and and that's the thing. Like, imagine it, right? Imagine a new series of Star Trek or any program, like set in the future or whatever a blank slate, you could cast anyone you want, Mm -hmm. you could write stories about anything you want and we live in a time that is very different to what was going on when these old movies were being made, maybe we need some some representation of our time on the screen allegories of what's going on now and things like that like, I don't think anybody would complain about anything that was going on if it was a set in a, a time that wasn't affecting the past I think a lot of the arguments against reboots and prequels are mainly to do with canon violations and people don't like that. As you know, there's a lot of continuity built up. Discovery messes with the continuity you're watching right now. Okay, I didn't know that. Because imagine watching these films like this and enjoying them and then watching Discovery and it's all exceptionally dramatic and CGI'd up to the max. Just thinking, what happened to the universe? Did it go from that to this? Mm Mm-hmm. Doesn't make sense. Yep. Well, it sounds like the prequels then. The Star, War- the Star Wars prequels are the, you know, the poster child of the, 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 the canon violation, as you it's put it It's tough to see, the poster child of the canon violation. That's an suppose. interesting phrase, isn't it? But, like, that is the, the staple of how you get it wrong with prequels. And, to me, set the, the idea that I, I don't like the general idea of a prequel. Yeah, exactly. I, I, it's kind of re- it made me realize anything and if you're very careful with it like rogue one Rogue One was done so carefully for that reason and it's probably the only prequel- and even then has moments that I still think, ugh yeah but well, I can get past them because I did enjoy the film well I'll put it this way rogue one is the best prequel anyone's ever done in terms would of you it- class the hobbit but even then it's not really like well they're they're, they're that great other they're just well, fine films. to be honest. All they did was make the Hobbit book that yeah, Tolkien so not, already written. It's not a, yeah, it's not a prequel then. Yeah, it. so just, like, oh, they just made it at, They, they just, just made the films in the wrong order. Yeah, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So okay, I'll try and tap. But Gollum was actually quite good in the Hobbit. They they kept that continuity and they had Frodo Baggins return, um, Elijah Wood and um, Ian Holm as well. Okay, yeah, maybe so, you're right. Maybe Rogue One is the best prequel. I'm trying to think. I know they're trying to make. I think The Sopranos into. A, I don't know if it's a, if it's a film prequel and it's set you in around Juniors, I think. Junior, uh, junior Soprano. Oh, God. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. It could be okay. Um, so that could be, you know, worrying a wee bit when you get something... Fucking with the canon of the Sopranos. I know it's like, you know what? If you're gonna mess something up, but then it's don't not mess really the it same. up in a way that's gonna mess up my enjoyment of something that already yeah. exists. I think. Something do like, some, why don't they just make a new a new fucking gangster film? Why don't they do that? Has nobody got any imagination anymore? Who invented I think the Sopranos? The, the timing, to be fair, to be fair on that example, though. The timing of gangsters—they're more, they were more relevant around the era of like Junior and this. No, I know, but why does it so- have to be Junior Soprano? Or, well, I mean, what is this like? Is it not possible in today's world to make a film? Well, do you know what? I, I'm generalizing again that people do do a lot of stuff, right? But there's a lot of people who who lean on established universes because they don't have the imagination to create their own. Mm. And and if that wasn't true, it wouldn't be happening. Do you know what I mean? It's it's almost like a, it's like the old question of how can life exist in the universe? Well, it does. Do you know what I mean? It's and it, it, the, the situation answers the question by itself. You know, I think people should get back to creating their own material, and and, and I'm open to watching anything. I'd, I'd I'm I, I, one area I'm quite keen on is in terms of looking at stuff that's maybe pulled from original not original sources as historical films, like we watched. Um, was it Black Panther? No, not Black Panther. Black Clansman. Black Clansman. <laughs> yeah. Well Black Panther's a, a black movement, man, it's not like I just made it up. But the the in case anyone heard Steve's der, derisory laughter there when I got the film name wrong. But it's I'm not, trying to edit it out, but maybe not now. Yeah, yeah, let's leave it and be honest. But the you know, that was a compelling film because it was it was about a historical event, wasn't it? So it's about something that a periods of time that that took place so i can accept that I, I can accept like characters from history and things like that but in terms of made up universes i think we need to get back to some originality i really do Someone at some time had to create all the Marvel superheroes. Super Someone had to create Star Trek, Star Wars. Someone pitched us. Well, the, a the new Marvel film with Firefly, yeah. there was a missed opportunity. Yeah, but the thing is with the Marvel film, this is the first time they're getting to be on film. That's not so bad. Yeah, exactly. They are We're changing even what happens in the comics for people who. And again, again Spider Man's been rebooted how many times? Well, that's the problem with that character. But yeah. on, I personally feel this is the best version of spider-man since all of those rebuilds. Well, yeah fairly. so therefore i'm happy to see him because it's finally in the hands of people who get the character well sure i suppose i suppose marvel so that's all, a bit, because... it's all about execution in that example yeah but if you look at star trek star wars and a lot of things have been i think that that's why if we segue this back to star trek 5 that's why i'm forgiven of this film because there was at least an attempt to do something a wee bit different here do you know what I mean, uh, within the, the restrictions. And I think that they did it in such a way that did not mess up all of what came before or since. Okay. And that's and that has a certain amount of skill. Let's talk about, talking about the film again, Uh, the sort of end reveal, the denouement. But like... Uh, I wanted denouement. to get that. Yeah. See the... Uh, really the, the sort of the talking to God. The, the, this could have went... Oh, yeah, Kirk's like... Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, playing with some humor there as well. But and that was that was okay. It, yes, it was. A it, confused look. I was a bit like, initially, like, oh, guys, is this, this is, is this going to lose me here. Like, I was thinking, hmm, not sure about this. Yeah. It felt a bit a bit hammy, a bit silly. Visually wasn't the most uh-huh. groundbreaking. It could have, it felt again, I keep bringing up Red Dwarf, but it did feel a bit like that. Uh-huh. But obviously, it wasn't God, as you know, as we as we see, what the standards convention was as an entity that was pretending pretending to be yeah. God, which didn't seem as as offensive or well. I don't it, think or, they could have had God in the film. I know but that is it. Kind arms. of felt like that was what the film was. Yeah, initially trying to do well, that's a twist, isn't it? Oh, yeah. So I was like, oh God, is this what this film is? This a religious? What is, <laughs> what is this? A <laughs> comment? Trick. You know. Yeah. Um. But yeah it was an interesting idea what did you think what did you think of all that well i i, I didn't mind it so much i mean a, star trek is not is not star trek has had entities like this in it before that's not an unusual thing the galaxy in star trek is filled with rogue powerful entities who may be the survivors of precursor species who are either imprisoned or you know otherwise detained somewhere and then the the crews come across them so maybe they're they're the remnants of something from the past that has been imprisoned and then the race that did it is gone. You know, you just don't know. So the idea of the Enterprise crew coming across a sort of an omnipotent sort of or, or non-corporeal entity like that, that's who folk into thinking it's God, is not unusual. Um, what I thought was quite funny was when, when <laughs> as the entity was revealing itself, Kirk seemed to have kind of bought the idea that maybe it was God and they were all there together listening to it. And then the Entity starts talking about the Enterprise and, oh, uh, can you bring the ship closer so I can get onto it? And Kirk's, Kirk's just kind of looking around, <laughs> looking at McCoy and looking at Spock and just looking around in confusion. And then he just raises his hand like he's in a classroom. Yeah. Excuse me. Hi. Can I ask a question? <laughs> and then everybody kind of looks at him. God and Cyborg look over. And Kirk's like, well, what does God need with a starship? If you're God and then God's like, who are you? And Kirk's like, don't you know? I think out of context those lines look ridiculous. Yeah. What does God need with a starship? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then Spock asks the question. Yeah, and then McCoy it sounds says, even you know, more ridiculous than Spock says it you didn't answer the question. Yeah. And then McCoy's interesting response because McCoy doesn't know if it's God or not, but McCoy says, you know, I I, I would I wouldn't listen to any God that just inflicts pain on people oh. for enjoyment. And I I felt like some of those lines were somehow a take on some feelings on the perception of some religions or something. Yeah. I wasn't sure if there was a yeah. commentary there. Well I think there is a commentary because there are a lot of people in all the religions in the world who will use God as an excuse or will admire God for having done terrible things like mm-hmm. blow up entire like God in the Old Testament blew up cities and things like that and killed people and mm-hmm. you know, cruelty cruelty was meted out by God in those days and you could say that Islam and um Judaism and, and Christianity share that Abrahamic God and and maybe self justify certain certain cruelties towards people certain different kinds of people, for example, all three of them maybe have a dim view of homosexuality or having abortions or whatever, right? And God, if you sin, you will go to hell, you know. So I think McCoy's comment is maybe coming from someone who is quite spiritual but maybe he's a bit, a bit more liberal about it and thinks that God maybe would be more forgiving mm-hmm. which which God I think would be if I was just if, I'm not sure where I stand on this issue to be honest that like in terms of belief and things like that but I would probably stand beside McCoy on that issue I'd, and Kirk, I'd be asking why the hell does God need to <laughs> yeah. and then I would say what McCoy said I'd say, you know, I don't care if you are God <laughs> but I don't like you if this is the way that you behave yeah. right? And because I tell you this right now, if I did die and go to heaven and God um, a major let down say God held me over a barrel and said I will punish you I'd say, you know what, do whatever you want because I don't worship you God or not and that's where McCoy stood on it and I respect that mm-hmm. because McCoy's principles are coming out there and I think that's a commentary that people in the audience maybe would have needed to hear. That even if God does exist, we have to hold God to account for his behaviour or her behaviour or their behaviour as much as they can hold us to account. How can God judge us for being bad if he's going around lasering folk? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like for how a, For ans- asking a question. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, uh, that's the thing. You know, uh, in order to judge someone and not be a hypocrite. You have to have not enacted those things yourself. Do you know what I mean? So it's not just a commentary on religion. It's a commentary on any regime that's that's unjust. Because there's regimes out there in the world today that, that commit terrible acts on their own citizens, and then still hope take people to court and do things like that and mm-hmm. and judge them. It's not right. So it's a it's an important message, I think. Right. Okay. I think we've kinda of covered most uh elements of the film. Sorry nothing... about that rant, by the way. No, it was interesting. Is there anything you feel before we get to the rating then that we need to discuss? Uh the the music you felt was similar well, to was, the, the, the first film? The music did its job. It wasn't I, I thought the music was quite nice in some parts. Jerry Goldsmith is kind of a workhorse composer. He's not a he's good he's dead now, by the way. Um no disrespect, Jerry, if you can hear me. But You know He'd turn them out, he'd do the job He created the big Star Trek theme that was used For Next Generation, he did Star Trek 1 Which had its quite spooky music He can come up with a a couple of nice themes Definitely, but It doesn't have the same hook to it as maybe Horner Did, or um, Cliff Idol in in the next film Has more of a, there's more energy To the the music, but it certainly did The job Mm -hmm. Um, But other than that, I don't think there's anything else I'm ready to give him a rating Right, okay uh, where where do you stand on this film? In a five-star rating system, given that we've given the first film three, Wrath of can f- collectively five, and then three again for the third film, Search for Spock, and four for four. Uh, Voyage Home, where does this one land? God. See, the problem with five stars is that you either are above average or below, right, and well, surely one. the three star is the average. Well, six stars, for example, if you gave it three out of six, it would be 50%. Do you know what I mean? That would be it. You know? Whereas with a five star, you can't give a film 50. Do you know what I mean? You can't do it. It's either like two star or... I would say the three star is the 50. But you can be in the middle. I suppose if it's characters, sp- as the line. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, mean, so I, I would say, thing. for me, I'm going to give my rating. It's a three star film. Yeah. It's a low three yeah, it here, I see. yeah. would say it's a low three. It could have been a two. I think I, I I felt like two was. I felt like two would be too harsh, a bit too cruel on uh-huh. it because of the good scenes. Like again, I listen to other podcasts and they say on a five star rating system, three stars is still a recommendation for a film. Yeah, I, I would recommend it to watch and as therefore part of the set. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I could say it's a qualified recommendation. There's things going in you should know about this film. Uh huh. But I think you couldn't skip it watching all of the films because it's got really important mm-hmm. character moments in it. So it's it's part of the set. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't not watch it. I would say it's a it's a free star film on the lower end of the free, but it is still a free star film. Yeah. you agree? Yeah, definitely, uh huh. <laughs> Alright then. That's that's us. We've got another three star Star Trek film. So that's the third free star film with a five and a four. So yeah no no real, if that's the worst you say apart from, well, and I think Into Darkness does count and therefore well, it would be interesting to see what we give that but uh, it's probably a good thing that you say this, the second worst film is only a three star film yeah, yeah do um, you know, that's the thing, I wouldn't say it's the worst film, it's got the worst bits of any film but as a whole obviously it makes the grade just about alright, that will do this podcast then yeah, well, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> I get to watch all these films I love, so it's great. Yeah, it has been fun. It's uh, it's great. We're coming to the end now of the original cast films. We've got one more to go. We're going to try and get that today. Yeah, may have time. But well, we're going to do. Yeah, we'll do the we'll do the little preamble. Yeah, and then we'll watch it, mm-hmm. and then we'll do the last bit, and you won't notice any of the big gaps because it's edited out. So we just sound like we're talking nonsense. Fantastic. On that note, see you next time Ad was. Bye bye.